turn the microphone on. That might help. <laughs> It does seem to have been a few, it's probably been a few years actually since I was last here, but it's great to be, to be back amongst you. It's, uh, it's brilliant. I was just saying that to, uh, to my wife Pauline, it was probably the last time we were here, I think we were just about to start to foster. So we've, we've been fostering the last three and a half years and we've actually just adopted a little, little girl there in June, which was brilliant. Uh, so that's kind of like our big news. I've got two women telling me what to do now instead of one. You know, it's great. <laughs> but if you have your Bibles with you there this evening, we're going to read from Romans uh, chapter 3. And we're just going to read a few verses there from verse 21 down uh, to 24. Uh, some great words from the Apostle Paul to us this evening. So I'm reading from the NIV in case your translation is different. Oh. Use the front mic. Oh, is this one not working? Right, sorry. I'll have to stand still. <laughs> so, um, God's word to us uh, this evening. But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Christ, Je Christ Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Amen. Great words to us uh, this evening. So a wonderful few uh, verses for us to ponder uh, this evening. Uh, but if you know the book of Romans, um, it starts quite gloomily. Paul takes us initially down quite a dark path initially. And he talks to us about the human dilemma, the problem of sin in those opening few chapters. To summarize those very quickly, he tells us about how sin has led to God's wrath against humankind. Reading from the, new, uh, the message, says in chapter 1, but God's angry displeasure erupts as acts of human mistrust and wrongdoing and lying accumulate, as people try to put a, a shroud over truth. And then Paul goes on to discuss how no one is immune from this effect, whether you've been born a Jew or born a Gentile. And so he writes in uh, chapter 2, this time from the New Living Translation, it says, the Jewish ceremony of circumcision is worth something only if you obey God's law. But if you don't obey God's law, you're no better off than an uncircumcised Gentile. And then lastly, he shows us how sin has a firm grip on each of us, that even God's law condemns us. It says in chapter 3, again reading from the New Living Translation, for no one can ever be made right in God's sight by doing what his laws command. For the more we know God's law, the clearer it becomes that we aren't obeying it. We're in a bit 
of Emmaus. And of course, in our passage, Paul summarizes that simply where he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In those few verses, Paul lays bare our failure. We may not wish to admit it to ourselves. We may think of ourselves, well, I'm actually not too bad a guy. My, my good stuff outweighs my bad stuff. I must be all right. My pals tell me, oh, you're all right, Chris. You're not a bad bloke. But in God's eyes, I still fall short. I, fit to, I fail to hit those standards that are required from a holy and just God. Sasiah would mournfully remark, all our righteous acts, all our best qualities and deeds are like filthy rags. I've been created in God's image, created to reflect God's glory, but my image is dirty. It's stained. There's nothing I can do which will bring up the shine to the required standard. It no longer reflects the glory of God. And of course, the painful outcome of all these shortcomings is that I find my pathway into God's presence has been blocked. The door into the throne room is bolted shut. I've been created to enjoy an intimate and fruitful relationship with my Creator, but like an estranged family member, I'm turned away at the door. Now, at this point, you might start to despair. Oh, what am I to do? And then, of course, at the beginning of our passage this evening, we've two of what I think are some of the sweetest words in the whole of Scripture. Two simple words where Paul says to us, but now, but now, God, who is our heavenly Father, has not abandoned us to our fate but has done something new. God has come to our rescue to save us from our plight. But now, Paul writes, but now, that's what was happening, but now this is what is, is happening. The herald of a new beginning, but now. They pronounce a new way. They declare God's intervention, an intervention that releases us from the shackles of the law that may have bound us, an intervention that fulfills all that God has promised in His Word. There we go. This is the New Living Translation of verse 21. It says, but now God has shown us a different way of being right in His sight, not by obeying the law, but by the way promised in the Scriptures long ago. But now, 
And of course, what is this way? What is this way Paul talks of? Well, it's the way that's found. Oh, flicked one on. It's the way found in Jesus Christ. Verse 22 again. We are made right in God's sight when we trust in Jesus Christ to take away our sins. Jesus takes away our sins. If you read on into verse 25, it reminds us there of that transaction that had to happen, that Christ uh, made a sacrifice of atonement for us, sheds his blood and suffers the shame of death on a criminal's cross for us. And by doing so, he takes away our sin. He takes the punishment we deserved. And in his blood, we are wiped clean. But this act of sacrifice does more than just make us clean. It deals with the consequences of sin also. It removes the barrier that is between us and God. That door that once was bolted has now been swung open. It removes that barrier that was between us and God. As Matthew describes in his gospel, how at the moment of Christ's death, the curtain was torn in the temple. The curtain that had separated uh, the people from the most holy place, God's very presence in the temple, is torn down. This act of, act of sacrifice reminds us also that we can now approach God boldly. We can go into his presence and ask and seek and find. As it says in Hebrews 4, we can approach his throne of grace with confidence. And with this act of sacrifice, we're no longer strangers to God no longer rebels kept from him. We are now part of his family. We are now his children. As Paul will write later in Romans 8, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children through that sacrifice that Christ made for us. Good news indeed. Christ's sacrifice for us. He takes away our sin. And of course, Paul uses a technical term to describe this turnaround in our, our fortunes. Verse 24, he tells us that we have been justified. A legal term taken from the law courts. A legal term that describes how a judge, in this case God, can overturn a guilty verdict. Instead of pronouncing us guilty, we, are, we find ourselves acquitted of all charges. But as John Stott in his little commentary on Romans reminds us, this acquittal is more than just being pardoned. The guilty sentence, yes, has been overturned but we also receive a new status. We are righteous now before God. We are reinstated 
into fellowship with God, not simply pardoned, so much more. It's our stamp of approval that we have before a holy and righteous God. It's a stamp, of course, we could not earn ourselves. Our good works it would always be overshadowed by our failings. Our greatest riches and achievements could not buy this stamp. But Christ has given it to us freely. As it says in verse 24 there, we are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Justified freely by His grace. These are great works. An act of unprecedented cost to Christ pays the penalty of my guilt and your guilt, past, future, and present. It's an act of extreme generosity. It's an act that redeems us, that releases us from our slavery to guilt and shame. We are set free. We are redeemed by His blood. As the message translation puts it, out of sheer generosity, God put us in right standing with Himself, a pure gift. He got us out of the mess we're in and restored us to where He always wanted us to be. And He did it by means of Jesus Christ. That's what He gives to us. Yeah. Those few verses really, for me, capture the essence of what the gospel is about. The great German reformer, Martin Luther, would say that these verses are the chief point in the very central place of the epistle and of the whole Bible. High praise indeed. Now, it seems apt today to mention uh, Martin Luther, you may be aware that on Tuesday marked the 500th anniversary of when he posted his, his uh, 95 thesis to the church door in Wittenberg, setting off a chain of events that will uh, lead to the Reformation and the division of the church into Roman Catholic and Protestant camps. It was one of the great moments in history. And Luther's career as a reformer is closely associated with the core argument of this passage, that we are justified freely. His slogan that he's sometimes uh, uh, linked with is justification by faith alone. That's how we maybe uh, get to know Luther. And in many ways, the Reformation is a rediscovery of this core teaching of the gospel. It somehow managed to get buried underneath uh, loads of church dogma and, and faulty teaching and corruption. But through Luther and others, this teaching comes back to the surface, that we are justified by faith alone. 
But to understand Luther, you need to understand how his understanding of righteousness, how we are justified, evolved over time. For Luther, um, in his early years, he was a, a monk. And for him, during those years, righteousness was to be feared. During this time, righteousness for him, his standing before God, was about performance. How can he be good enough to stand before a holy and righteous God? And if you know anything about Martin Luther's life, his early years as a monk are consumed with trying to be as holy as he can be. He wants to be the best monk there can ever be. He drives his confessors insane with his incessant need to confess the most trivial sins because he has that need to feel right before God and can't achieve it. He desperately wants to be right before his holy God. In fact, Luther wrote this at the time, about his time as a monk. He said, I tortured myself with prayers fasting vigils and freezing. The frost alone might have killed me. I almost fasted myself to death, for again and again I went for three days without taking a drop of water or a morsel of food. I was very serious about it. Luther is a tortured soul. He has no confidence at this point in his standing before God. He has no peace. His spiritual life is defined by anxiety and struggle. How can I be good enough for God? And then if you know Luther's story, he's, despite his struggles, he's recognized as having academic uh, talents and is sent away to Wittenberg to complete firstly his PhD studies and then he becomes a lecturer in biblical studies there at that university. And he spends years closely studying the Bible. At that point, um, there had been a resurgence in interest in the Bible and reading it in the original Greek and Hebrew languages. And there, there uh, Luther finds something new for himself. And he spends years lecturing on the book of Romans and reflecting on our passage that we read today. And during his time studying this passage, he has an epiphany. He need not fear the righteousness of God, but needed to see it and to know it as a gift from God. He would later write about this time as he reflected on this passage, he wrote, night and day I pondered until I grasped the truth. Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. The whole scripture took a new meaning and whereas before the righteousness of God had filled me with hate, now it became to me inexpressibly sweet in greater love. This passage in Paul became for me a gateway to heaven words from the great reformer. And I suppose Luther, like each of us, 
had to grasp the meaning of this passage. He had to take hold of what it says in verse 22. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Luther had to place his trust in Christ and receive this justifying gift from God. And with it came that indescribable joy he wrote there, where he could write that he had gone through open doors into paradise. So my closing question to you this evening is simply, have you gone through this open door to paradise? Have you put your trust in Christ who freely gave himself for you? Have you put your hands in his scarred hands and received forgiveness and the new life that he promises to us? Do you know what it means in your heart to be justified freely and stand before an awesome God? Do you need to receive this for the first time? My question to you this evening is, what is stopping you this evening from receiving this gift, this amazing, amazing gift? Money cannot buy. Is it a thousand pounds for the new iPhone? Doesn't even come close to the value of this gift. Is it because you feel unworthy? My answer to you is do not fear. For God knows your story. He has seen it all. But through Christ, he will, op he will openly receive you in his arms. He justifies you freely. But maybe you need to walk through this door anew tonight. Because our faith, our trust in Christ uh, is something that we ju just don't do once at the beginning of our walk with God. But it's a lifelong commitment to Him. How easily we might find that we wander away. Or we maybe make our walk with God somehow performance related that if only if I do this and I do enough God will accept me but he justifies you freely it doesn't matter he accepts you he welcomes you into his presence yeah so my question to you will you go through these open doors to paradise let me just uh, close uh, before I hand back to Ross with a prayer from Luther. It's entitled Thanks and Confidence. With heart and voice before the world, I thank and praise and glorify you, my Lord Christ, that you are merciful to me and help me that you and none other shall be my Lord and God. Amen. Amen. Bless you. Thank you.